Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure. Grateful to be with you. In case you missed it, you didn't notice it, we actually make a really big deal about kids around here. Uh, one of the main reasons we make a big deal about kids around here is because we believe Jesus made a really big deal about kids when he was around here. Uh, so grateful for many of you that are guests that are joining us that normally don't uh, join us on a weekend like this. This is a real gift to be together. My name's Brody, uh, one of the pastors here. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, how much more fun would it be if, like, when we got on stage, it was the same, like... <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Kirk. Yeah. yeah, 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 this is... Hi, yeah, this is so good. Thanks. Um, so cool. Hey, before we jump into our message this weekend, I have a couple things I want to make you aware of that are happening in around the life of our church. First is next weekend on Sunday night, we are honored to have special guest Steve Bell joining us and performing one of his concerts. He's doing a Christmas concert here. If you've never had the chance to see Steve, I'd really encourage you to come and check it out. He's a singer, songwriter, he's phenomenally gifted, one of the best uh, guitar players I know of, uh, and he's going to be performing in that evening. Tickets are available here at the office if you want to stop by and grab some, or you can go online. Uh, our website will point you in the right direction, but mainly it's Steve's website that those ticket sales are happening through as well. Special for those who are going to join us for church next weekend is that Steve's going to be blessing our church family with leading the music portion of our services uh, next weekend as well. So come with great anticipation for that. And if you haven't yet been warned, you were warned already by our kids this morning, we're only four weekends away from Christmas, everyone. And that means, as a church, we're gearing up for our Christmas Eve services. We're calling them, again, Christmas in the Park. And for all the details about when those services are, what to expect for all of those services, the best place is to head to our website, spac.ca slash Christmas. But we look forward to having you join Christmas, uh, join our Christmas celebration with us and would encourage you also to be thinking about and considering who is it that you might uh, think about that you could consider bringing along to one of those Christmas Eve services with you. And also for some of you, we'd love for you to consider possibly stepping up to volunteer and serve as we host a large number of our friends in the county here. Uh, all those things you can find at our website, spac.ca slash Christmas. I'd also just like to give a real practical special shout out to all of our staff and our volunteers who spent a whole lot of time this last week. If you were here last weekend, you know it didn't look very Christmassy at all, and that was on purpose because we wanted it to be a real special walk-in for you, uh, but they did a phenomenal job decorating this space for this week to bless us with that, so thank you so much to those uh, who did all of that. And finally, I want to remind you of our We Care ministry, and around this time of year, we do our We Care bags. We Care is a ministry that takes place, it's happening right now, it takes place downtown uh, Edmonton every single Sunday, rain or shine, minus 30, doesn't matter, they're there to deliver a meal, share a message of hope, and fill some practical needs for those that are less fortunate. And at Christmas time, we like to do something extra special for our friends down there. And so we'd love for you to grab one of those bags and to fill it. Uh, we're looking to fill them with personal items, a small gift, and a handwritten card. So those bags are in the atrium at the kiosk, right at the kind of doors in that far corner. Um, and we just ask that if you are going to participate with us in that, that you get those bags back on the 16th, so two weeks from today, uh, so that we can make sure that they get to our friends on time. Okay, 
I am uh, really excited to, to, to be opening up this series, but I'm also on the other side really, really terrified to be opening up this series with you today. I'm excited because I really do believe that anytime we open up God's Word with anticipation, um, it's that there's something in store for us when we come to His Word with expectancy, whether we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus or even far from it. But I'm terrified because of the theme that we decided to build our Advent series around. As you saw in the videos you can see on the screen, we're calling the next four weekends the Art of Advent. And the idea behind this series is we're taking four unique pieces of art and allowing them to act as our introduction or our illustration to the message for each weekend. And so you might be thinking to yourself, well, Brody, why would something like that be terrifying for you? And that's the reason it's so terrifying for me is I don't get art. Like at all. Like it doesn't mostly make sense to me. I can appreciate like some art, the really obvious, simple art. I get that. But it's not something that comes naturally to me at all. In fact, one of the most terrifying things for me to ever imagine would be if somebody invited me to an art gallery or a studio where I had to attempt to interpret, you know, what the artists were trying to communicate or at least pretend like I knew what I was doing, probably while wearing one of those fancy art hats, right? If you were to come into my office, which I welcome any of you at any point to come into my office, you'd see this all too clearly. My walls are filled with Euler's paraphernalia, some pictures of my kids, a Nacho Libre movie poster, a dartboard, and a really big Ikea print. It's not fancy. I'm just not fancy enough for art. And so I had no idea when Greg pitched this idea that this is what we're going to do for Advent this series. I had no idea how to reconcile my non-artiness with the story of Christmas while also effectively kickstarting our whole Advent series. And that was until I actually got a little bit convicted and a little bit of a realization started to grow within me. And I was able to reconcile all of this around the fact that this isn't about the art at all. It's not about the artists at all, though we'll talk about those things. But instead, this is an opportunity to see the creativity of God himself on display. Because we actually believe that that's where everything that's beautiful comes from. It's God's good, creative, wonderful design, and it's on full display. These paintings are by those who were created in his very image. But I'm guessing there's some of you that maybe can relate to me, and you're thinking to yourself, one of three things. First, you might be thinking, what are these idiots doing? Like, just give us Christmas. Just Jesus in the manger. That's fair. Some of you might be actually thinking, I can't wait. This is going to be the best series that I've ever sat through. And some of you, just quite honestly, are thinking, whatever, I'll probably tune out regardless of what you do up there anyway. Totally fine. Totally fine. Grateful that you're all here. But whatever your expectations are, I'd encourage you to lean in and to hang in there with me because I really do believe that this can be significant and meaningful this Advent season. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be surprised what God might reveal to you in a unique expression like this. So, without any further ado, I did that word on purpose. It's fancy, arty, right? Without any further ado, I'm going to reveal for you, we're going to hope this works, no guarantees, our first art piece for the weekend. Now, I did this last weekend, it came down, and then everyone just sat there quietly, and it felt so awkward. So I didn't paint this, so you're not clapping for me, but it's just fun, okay? So when I pull it, it's like, everyone go, oh, and then kind of clap. Without any further ado, I give you the light of the world. Oh, yeah. 
The expectations are high for the weeks that follow. Uh, this painting was painted by a gentleman named William Holman Hunt. It was commissioned in 1853. As I said, it's called The Light of the World. And if you don't recognize the main character in that painting, that's supposed to be a representation of Jesus. Now, what I find really interesting about this piece was the fact that William Holman Hunt was actually a staunch atheist. He didn't believe in God, and he was opposed to the idea of any sort of deity ruling over the world until, that was until, he had a radical encounter and conversion, and he ended up giving his life to the Lord. And so what you're seeing here is actually the very first art piece that he painted after his transformation. And what Hunt was trying to capture for us was Jesus' movement towards us. Jesus in this painting has come through what appears to be a, a, a dense forest. It's dark. And he's arrived at a home and his hand is raised as he's, had, as he's just about to or he's already knocked on the door. Now, a couple of things to note here. That door, it has no handle. And that's on purpose, is he's trying to help us see that there's no way for Jesus to just open the door himself. Instead, he's there to just knock and then waits patiently for the door to be possibly open. If you look closely as well, you can see that door hasn't been opened for a really long time, as made evidence by all of that vegetation that's overgrowing at its base. Jesus in this picture is pictured here now as king. He's got a, a, a crown on his head. He's wearing this kingly robe, but it's important for us to see that he's not fixed on some throne waiting for his people to come and sit at his feet. Instead, this king is on the move, going through to the places that a king shouldn't have to go through in search of and reaching out for his people. And this king is bringing with him light. For sure, light in the form of the lantern that he's carrying, but also light in his very essence. This king is light, as seen by the light that is surrounding his head, which matches the light on the horizon. And again, the idea that Hunt was trying to capture for us here is Jesus is pursuing us. He shows up. He comes near and that he stands just behind the doorway of our lives and our hearts. He doesn't come with a battering ram. He's not one to kick down the door. Instead, he just knocks, and then he leaves it up to us whether or not we're going to be willing to answer. And so for this first Advent weekend, I want to point us in the direction of the one who is light, the one who's bringing light into our world, the one who arrives with an invitation towards the very things that our souls all each desperately, truly long for. Now, the gospel writer Matthew, one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, wrote about the life of Jesus, and, and he opened up his version of the story of Jesus by reciting an ancient prophecy that was from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Matthew wanted the readers to, to understand and see that Jesus was actually the fulfillment of that ancient prophecy when he said this, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. Now this is often a text, you probably heard it before, that places like ours, churches like ours, will use in services like Christmas Eve. It's a reminder of what Jesus' arrival actually meant. It was light breaking into the darkness. The long-awaited Messiah coming to make things right once and for all time. 
Now, we understand darkness in the literal sense, right? The absence of light, the struggle to do much of anything other than sleep as a result of it. But darkness is a theme that's all throughout the scripture, and it's used metaphorically to speak to the condition of our hearts and the brokenness of our world at large. It's something that's desperate for illumination. For, for the people at that time, it was something certainly to be feared. Keep in mind, at Jesus' time, they didn't have modern technology to light. The only thing that they could light was, was from flame to illuminate. Darkness was something that ultimately kept humanity behind closed doors at night. But the promise of the Christmas story was that the people no longer had to walk in that darkness, that light was now finally breaking into the darkness like dawn breaking into the morning. Later in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had a really big crowd that was gathered at one point. These people, they all gathered. They brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. The crowd was looking for blood. They were actually hoping that Jesus would publicly shame and humiliate and potentially even have the woman stoned to death. But instead, after completely flipping the script on them and choosing not to condemn the woman, he had everyone's undivided attention, and he said this of himself. I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me never will walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light can be a really wonderful thing when we're hoping for it, can it? I wonder if if anyone else in this room ever had the opportunity to help dad in the garage. Anyone? Anyone ever growing up have the opportunity to help dad in the garage, or was I the only one who had to suffer through such torment? Uh, helping dad in the garage for me meant handing dad tools, very often the wrong ones, while he mostly unsuccessfully tried to stay patient with my lack of ability to differentiate the difference between a Phillips head screwdriver and a Robertson head screwdriver. But never, never did I understand the deep value of my sonship as I did when I was able to shine the flashlight in the right direction for him under the hood of the car. And again, the opposite was true. The expletives that I learned as a kid when I shone that thing in the wrong direction were limitless. But when I managed to get it just right, I could feel the full weight of my father's pride rest upon me. (laughs) When we want the light, we love the light, right? But sometimes we don't want the light, right? A year ago, I was at Costco, and I heard this crazy fad. Everyone was buying these wuzu fans from Costco. So I grabbed one. It's an exceptional piece of bedside furniture. This is the Rolls-Royce of bedside table fans. The gentle hum, the programmability, the omnidirectional head. Mmm, so good. But there was a problem with the earlier models of the wuzu. They had this painfully bright blue indicator light on them. And it's actually unbelievable how a light which was smaller than the the head of a match could create such a blinding force in the darkness of my room, all of which led me on this crazy search for some sticker filter to reduce the burning glare that was happening from the stupid little bulb. See, when we want to be in the darkness, oftentimes the teeniest bit of light can be completely repulsive. Jesus would summarize this same sort of idea, the rejection of the light from the people of the world in this way when he said this. He said, the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. This, again, it echoes back to this metaphorical idea of darkness. There's things in our lives that we just really want to keep hidden. We don't want to have brought out into the light for everyone to see, which oftentimes leads us to do all that we can do to keep the light away. This is just as true in Jesus' day as it is for us today. And here's the deal. The longer we spend in the darkness, the more time we spend out of the light, the more the light actually causes us to, to recoil back into the darkness. If you've ever gone to a matinee movie, you know, an afternoon movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After spending upwards of a couple of hours in the dark, after the movie, if you've ever gone to the exit that's behind the screen that takes you right out into the parking lot, you know what I'm saying, right? You feel like a vampire who had the curtains drawn over your casket during the day. You're like, ah! It's so bright, right? It's just you don't want the light in those moments. This is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint. Some, for sure, are longing and waiting and anticipating for the light to break in, while others want absolutely nothing to do with it. They love the darkness rather than the light. And yet still, here's the really profound part, the most important part for you to hear this morning. Regardless of the disposition of your heart, whether you're longing for the light or you hate and you absolutely avoid the light, Jesus still pursues you. He still pursues you. He still shows up. He still comes knocking, with, not with condemnation, but with this, this invitation. Now, this painting was most likely inspired by one little verse that's found in the book of Revelation. This is a book that was written by John, the same John who we've been working through a bit of his gospel here, where John was given this glimpse behind the scenes to see the spiritual realities of the things that were happening behind the physical world. And he captured this word from the Lord, which said this in Revelation 3.20. He said, See, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. In this little verse, this is Jesus actually speaking. And Jesus is speaking to a church in the area of Laodicea where Jesus is actually calling out their, their lack of eagerness to want to live into the light. Just a couple verses earlier, they're being described as a community which was clearly not interested in the light, but had settled instead for mediocrity. They weren't opposed to the person of Jesus, but they certainly weren't deeply invested in the idea of Jesus either. Look at how they're described just a few verses earlier. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Those last few words are intense, and probably this is a verse I shouldn't have used on a weekend like this, but I think it's important for us to see them. And the more important ones I want us to see, especially those who call Strathcona County home, is the middle part there, because I think it's so, so true of the area that we live within. It says this, I'm rich. I've become wealthy, and I need nothing. The promises of Jesus are often way more obvious to those who live in parts of the world where they have much, much less than we do. That's just the truth. The church has its highest rate of growth in places where life is hard and where the church and its followers are being persecuted. 
Because his, his truth, his offer of light, his, his offer of hope is most compelling oftentimes to those who we would perceive as being hopeless. See, when you have everything, when you've done everything on your own already, to have everything that you own already, to put it bluntly, there's not much need for a God in your life. Because you're doing pretty good being your own God for your life. And so it's really hard to imagine that there could be something more. There could be something even better. Jesus' invitation doesn't seem necessary to those who have the means to make everything happen by themselves with their own power, with their own influence, with their own resources. That's what Jesus is trying to help the, the church in Laodicea see and understand. And I think if he were here standing with us in the county, he'd be saying much the same to us today too. And so each and every one of us has just outside the doorway of our heart a knock, an invitation from the person of Jesus to come and experience the light, an invitation towards the satisfying of our deepest longings as humans, knowing our identity, discovering our purpose, and experiencing his lasting hope. And unfortunately, as our painting reminds us this weekend as well, for many, we live with an unwillingness to answer the door altogether. And a reality that our door has actually remained closed for a very, very long time. Now, I don't know about you. I hate answering the door. We've become so desensitized to answering the door as a people. In fact, a whole new category of doorbells was designed to help us not to have to answer the door because now we can actually see on our phones who's there and whether or not we even want to go answer the door altogether. Now think about, um, I don't have a doorbell camera, not because I, I can't, I just don't. So like most good parents, I send my kids to answer the door when the door is, you know, rung or knocked on. But I get it. We don't like to be disrupted in the comfort of our homes, right? The pushy salesman, the solicitation for donations, the politicians wanting your vote. There's lots of reasons why we don't answer the door anymore. I was thinking about the publisher's clearinghouse, and I was going to start by saying, I'm going to date myself by this, but I was shocked. They're still doing this, right? The publisher's clearinghouse is still showing up. You have this group of people, people mail in, I'm sure it's email now, but they mail in, you know, they're, they're, um, they're, they're being a part of the, the raffle or whatever, they mail in their ticket, and then randomly they're drawn, and then these, these people, they show up in this big van, they open up the door, they have a giant check and all these balloons, and they go up to the door of the house, and they, they knock on the door, ready to present the winnings to the person in the home. And here's the crazy part. I found one right away that happened just recently. There's multiple instances where the people who were supposed to be answering the door assumed it was nothing but solicitation, and so they ignored the knock altogether to the point where Publishers Clearinghouse almost gives up, or they come to the door just like angry, ready to send these people away, only to discover that they're behind the door waiting for them is... is a million dollars, right? See, if we knew what good was behind the door, we'd be really quick to answer it and open it, wouldn't we? Shouldn't we? This is the picture that I hope you're seeing Jesus painting for us. You see, regardless of our heart's desire towards the person of Christ, his heart's desire is towards you. Even if you want nothing to do with him, he relentlessly seeks you and patiently and lovingly waits at the doorway of your heart with the fullness of his promises towards a life you've never, ever dreamed of. Here's that passage from John 3 that we looked at before. 
just with a little bit more context. It says this, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son, his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. At its core, God's invitation towards you is rooted in his profound love of you. He loves you. And I'm not just talking you as like a big group sitting collectively. I'm talking you individually. He loves you. God knows you. He knows all about you. He knows the the hidden places in your heart that you want to keep hidden and buried away. He knows your potential, your greatest potential. He knows your brokenness. He knows all of it. And he loves you. So much so that he made a way for you to find and discover the deepest longings of your heart in and through him. And he offers you a pathway towards your total flourishing. And so the biggest question for some of you to consider today is this. Are you willing, are you open to maybe crack that doorway of your heart open just even a little bit to allow Jesus and his light to start to break in? He's there, he's knocking. And so I wonder what might be keeping you from opening and answering. If you've never considered Jesus' pursuit in your life like this before and you'd like to to hear more or talk about this in a deeper way, we'd love to invite you back here. Um, We'd love to have you join us maybe for the rest of our Advent season as we continue to look at the the hope about Christ's arrival. We'd love to invite you back to our Christmas Eve services as we tell that profound story in a really important way. And in the new year, we'll be offering an opportunity to discover the person of Jesus in a really practical way through our Alpha series. And so if you'd like to, to talk about any of those things or anything else, come down after the service. One of us would, would love to engage in conversation with you, but we'd love to help you discover who it is that's standing behind the doorway of your heart and help you see just how much it is that he longs for you. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring also this around to talk to those of you in the room who've already answered that knock who've already opened that door up and to the best of your abilities are trying to to walk now in that light. For you, your response to this weekend's message is just a little bit different. My first question for you to consider is this. Are there places in your life, even after responding to Jesus' light and his invitation, are there places in your life that still need the light to penetrate in order to chase out some of the darkness? Are there things in your life that you're trying to keep hidden? perhaps out of fear or or out of shame or out of embarrassment. And again, I I hope you can see the the heart of the Father all through the scriptures, beautifully on display in the art piece here. He doesn't come blasting a floodlight into every corner of our lives forcefully. Instead, his heart is the same as we've already discussed. He comes with a gentle invitation to come and to bring you healing and hope into your story. He longs for us, for sure, to expel the darkness in our hearts, but he does so with us. 
That's the beautiful reminder of the Advent season. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, made his home among us, beside us, as one of us who understands us, who's wanting to be near to us. Later, John, again, the gospel writer, he would write a letter to the early church, a couple, a few letters to the early church, and he was coaching them to try and live out their discipleship, or how to take seriously the things that they'd committed to as a body of believers. And with this same theme, John would say this. He said, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's there. He's waiting for us to allow him to come in and help us through the things that are holding us back or holding us down. We ought not to be okay with with darkness remaining and allowed to, to fester and grow within us. We're to call it out within ourselves and even sometimes within each other to expose it in order to turn it over to him who is faithful. He's faithful and who can help us to be done with it altogether. Jesus' work of bringing our darkness into the light is done with care and concern. And again, it's always rooted in his deep love for you. So for some of you, the question again is this. What, what dark areas of my life do I need to bring out into the light with Jesus in order to allow him to help me walk in the light? And finally, one more invitation uh, for those of us who are already walking in the light. And that is that your experience of the light, your experience of the light of the world is not intended to stay with and for only you. Over the last eight weeks as a church, we've been uh, walking through Jesus' most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, and right in the middle of it, Jesus makes a point that we didn't have a whole lot of time to spend on together, but he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Remember, Jesus Jesus clearly called himself, I am, he said, the light of the world. And yet now here, in his most famous sermon, he would turn to his followers and he would describe us in the same way. You are the light of the world. Once you've received his life-changing light, you are now to be the ones who help the rest of the world find and discover that same light. Not your light, but his light, the glory of the light of, the God, of, of God the Father, which needs to be clearly on display for all the world to see in the way that we live our lives. And so my question for some of you to consider at the, at the beginning of this Advent season is how are you helping to shine a light on the glory of the Father this Christmas? In what ways or places are you revealing to your neighbors or your coworkers or your, your classmates the goodness of God and his relentless pursuit of the world around you? 
the light of the world looks to each and every one of you and says, you are the light of the world. It's in the way that you respond to difficult situations. It's in the way you show generosity and compassion. It's in the way that you forgive quickly. It's in the way that you're hospitable. It's in the way you celebrate. It's in the joy that you reveal. It's in the way that you live your life in the light that makes it possible for the light to be seen and experienced and known today. And my friends, church, God doesn't have a backup plan. There's no plan B. You are plan A, period. His church, who's to shine brightly. And so I implore you, let's work hard together to help our community at large be captivated by the light of the world. If you didn't notice, the music team snuck out behind me just at their right cue. And that's because I think one of the best ways that we can close this message this weekend is, is just focusing our hearts and mind through some art through some music and wrapping up with a song. And so they're going to lead us through this uh, song aptly titled Light of the World. And I would just encourage you, whatever you need to do in this moment, sit, reflect, think, pray, ponder, um, but use this as an opportunity to just let your heart respond a little bit to some of the things that the Lord may have revealed to you.